the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation with nationally known gerontologist Carol Zernio and veteran broadcaster and attorney Ron Aaron. This program provides health, wellness, and other information for caregivers who are vital to the health and well-being of so many people across our country. Now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zernio. We've got a neat show coming up, and uh, I know it's one that you've been looking forward to. Uh, you got a copy of the book that uh, provides part of the uh, background for all of this. What's your view? Well, I, I'm excited. You know, we, we talk often about dementia on the show. We've talked about some of the new medications for, for Alzheimer's. And, you know, this feels like a fresh approach that not a lot of people are talking about. So, you know, the book, American Dementia, Brain Health in an Unhealthy Society. Well, let's take a moment and introduce our two very special guests, Daniel George, uh, Dr. George, Ph.D. in medical anthropology, associate professor of Penn State College of Medicine, and Peter Whitehouse, um, M.D. and a Ph.D. professor of neurology at Case Western Reserve University. I mentioned to him off the air where I got my undergraduate degree. He's also a professor of medicine at the University of Toronto. And America Dementia Brain Health in an Unhealthy Society provides a backdrop for all of this as we uh, take a look at where we are when we look at Alzheimer's and look at dementia in general. And uh, Drs. Whitehouse and George, thanks for being here. Why don't we kick it off with uh, uh, Dr. Whitehouse. Uh, Give us an overview of uh, your view now on the role dementia plays in our society in our view of dementia. Dementia, as you've just said, and and thank you both for having us on the show, um, is a topic you've considered before. It's a lot on people's minds. Um, But we've been addressing dementia in our world in what Danny and I think are somewhat limited ways. Um, That is to say, this is about aging. It's about brain aging. It's about how our communities care for each other. It's not just about um, giving doctors more research grants to find cures. Um, Alzheimer's is not one thing. Dementia, of course, is many things. So when we talk about treatments and cures, we have to be really cautious about understanding the depths of what we mean by these challenges so that we can address them through public health means as well as uh, medical means. Dr. George? Yeah, I think that's right. you know, culturally speaking, uh, we have tended to highly stigmatize people with dementia. Uh, and there's been a lot of work that you both have been involved in um, to push back against that. And now we talk about people living with dementia rather than Alzheimer's victims or dementia victims. And that's positive progress. Uh, but we continue to struggle against the medical model to a certain degree uh, and, and to further humanize people who, who are living with some memory loss, which, of course, we all live with. Uh, and so part of the message of this book is, uh, you know, having solidarity with with people who have memory loss because it's something that we're all touched by to some degree or another. We're not different in type than people who have these diagnoses. Um, 
and uh, you know they're just further along the, the continuum of, of age-related brain changes than we are. Uh, so, so hopefully uh, we can strike a tone of compassion and solidarity in this book as well. Yeah, and you know, I I, I appreciate um, your mentioning the living with dementia, living with memory loss, because that is new uh, in our society. Um, but you also talk about, you also said the word public health, um, and probably everybody now is thinking public health equals COVID or some something related to a virus. But how pervasive is memory loss and dementia in American society? So as, as Danny says, as we all age, um, we develop changes in the way we think. For example, none of us on this screen should compete, probably none of your uh, listeners should compete with a youngster in a video game. Their reaction times are faster. And uh, yet aging offers some advantages, some wisdoms, hopefully for some people, that uh, we can still contribute to, uh, to society. So I could answer the question 100% because it depends on what label you want to put. There's dementia where there's functional impairment. There's mild cognitive impairment where there's some loss, but not enough to affect daily life. And now the Alzheimer's Association, which loves to push labels, has got subjective cognitive decline. For that, Ron, all you have to do is complain about your memory on an occasion. And you've got that label. So be cautious. That's a really good point, because I think all of us from time to time complain about our memory. How did the two of you hook up together? Yeah, that goes back to 2004. I had graduated from college uh, in Ohio, and uh, my hometown is Cleveland, which is where Peter lives. Yeah, me and, too. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, greatest town on earth. Um, but uh, I was gainfully unemployed at the time, and uh, <laughs> yet I had done an uh, uh, independent study my senior year at the College of Worcester, just south of Cleveland, on um, time slips, which people may know as a creative storytelling project for people with dementia that's used in long-term care homes. And uh, I just Googled around and I saw that Peter, uh, you know, a sort of famous neurologist who was interested in um, not just the biology of Alzheimer's helped develop cholinesterase inhibitors, but had evolved his practice to include narrative medicine and other psychosocial approaches, uh, was interested in things like time slips. So I connected with him through this work that I'd done. And uh, we wrote our first book, The Myth of Alzheimer's, in 2008 and have just been collaborating uh, ever since uh, that faithful day when I um, uh, showed up uh, waifishly on his doorstep of his office. <laughs> and, and I'll tell the story. I only need to add one element. So Daddy went to the same high schools as my daughter's, and he's about the same age, um, but we couldn't fix them up. What high school? Shaker, uh, Shaker Heights High School. Oh. I'm a graduate of Shaker, class of 1960. All nice. right. All right. And Paul Newman graduated in 1942 from Shaker. That's right. Carol, <laughs> uh, we don't want to leave you out of this uh, Cleveland reunion here. <laughs> I, I do I, want I, my relatives in Cleveland. I can join the Cleveland. Conference. All right, good, good, good. I, I do want to say I do want to mention a word um, that we have off <laughs> off air. Aducanumab. Uh, I mean, frankly, we couldn't have imagined a worse thing to happen that would be the best thing to tell people why they need to read our book. So the FDA, in my opinion, and the opinion of most uh, 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 experts, frankly, except for a few that get well paid by the drug industry. Uh, made a mistake in, in, in approving this uh, without evidence for clinical benefit. And, uh, you know, we were talking before, Carol, about how many people have some kind of memory problem. Well, Biogen, the company, has a website, which I'm not going to mention. You can go there and find out if you need their drug. And frankly, they've set it up so practically everybody does. And they're charging an arm and a leg. Actually, they're charging two arms and one leg. This is a ridiculous uh, 
uh, unfortunate occasion that says we have a cultural dementia. We really don't appreciate what it takes to to keep our brains healthy together. And that's the public health. That's that's yes, it's it, public health is much more than COVID. Although, of course, COVID has brought that to our attention. We start the book with lead poisoning. You know, I mean, kids getting their brains damaged and 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 football injuries. And, you know, there are all kinds of things going on in society where we have to take action together to address these problems, not wait for some drug company to come and sell us a pill and, and promise this magic. And for those who don't remember, uh, that was a, a drug claimed by the manufacturer uh, to assist in uh, preserving memory for those struggling uh, with early onset and, and later phases of Alzheimer's a drug that was obviously pushed through by the FDA. And did they not reverse themselves? Where is that now? So um, they have partially reversed themselves. When they first approved it, they uh, had a label. That's what the FDA does that essentially uh, would have made it it possible for a lot more people to take it. Now they've been increasing fire for this behavior. So they've narrowed the label to the kinds of people that were in the original trials, uh, which is a a restricted and healthier group of people. Uh, When you bring a drug as powerful as this that causes significant side effects out into the world, rather than just in these uh, academic studies, gotta be very careful about whether it works or what the safety is. Yeah, and in fact, about 40% of the people in the high dosage arms of this trial had uh, brain bleeds or brain swelling. Uh, the drug also seemed to put people at greater risk for things like headaches and falls, which I know, Carol, is something you've focused on in your work. But there has been pretty significant pushback so far, which your listeners may be familiar with. For instance, the VA is not is not covering um, this drug. Uh, Cleveland Stay Clinic, with us just a minute. I, yeah. I want to let folks know who may have just joined us. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerny, and we're talking on the Caregiver SOS on air hotline with uh, Dr. Daniel George, Ph.D., medical anthropologist and associate professor at Penn State College of Medicine, and Dr. Peter J. Whitehouse, also a Ph.D. and an M.D., professor of neurology at Case Western Reserve University and professor of medicine at the University of Toronto. Carol? Yeah, uh, well, we were talking about the 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 drug um, aducanumab or aduhelm, and and instead of a magic bullet, instead of this drug, you know, how would you reframe this discussion around dementia? Yeah, that's a a great question. And that really is the crux of our book. Uh, We've sort of had this expectation in the culture that this drug will arrive eventually, the silver bullet drug. It hasn't. There's been a 100% fail rate in anti-amyloid drugs over the past several decades, despite billions of dollars invested. However, there's been this paradox in the last decade where we've discovered that in the United States, Canada, and several Western European countries, dementia rates are either stable or falling uh, for cohorts of elders. And that's what gets us into that word, you, the phrase you used earlier, Carol, public health, because the linkage here is that things that were invested in in the mid-20th century, things like um, healthcare systems that can better control vascular disease, anti-smoking uh, campaigns that significantly reduced levels of smoking in these countries, uh, deletting gasoline, um, you know, uh, getting air pollution lowered through aggressive policies. All of those things, um, it, the GI Bill is another example of something that uh, scaled education across the public and probably through cognitive reserve, as we talk about uh, lowered dementia rates for people who are now turning 70, 80 years old. But all of these collective investments have uh, eventuated in brain health 
benefits for people who are now in their older years. And that cuts very harshly against the kind of uh, narrative that we have that, you know, the drug is going to be what saves us. Now, we'll get back to this discussion in just a moment. Hang on, Dr. Whitehouse, you'll be up next. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel. We're talking about uh, issues involved in as we age, Alzheimer's disease and, and more, America, dementia, brain health and an unhealthy society. And I want to go back to 2008 and the book, Doctors Whitehouse and George published The Myth of Alzheimer's, What You Aren't Being Told About Today's Most Dreaded Diagnosis. And I think we need to know that as well. Stick with us. You're listening to Caregiver SOS On Air. The WellMed Charitable Foundation would like to remind you it is important to stay connected while social distancing. Caregiver stress may be higher now, and specialists are available to talk with. There's no question that we are living in not normal times, but whether the new normal will be the old normal is yet to be seen. So if you are troubled, if you are feeling stressed, ask for help. Services are provided at no cost. See more at caregiversos.org. Hello. Thank you so much for sticking with us right here on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel, and we're talking on our Caregiver SOS On Air hotline with Daniel George, a PhD, medical anthropologist and associate professor at Penn State College of Medicine, and Dr. Peter Whitehouse, also a PhD, professor of neurology at Case Western Reserve University, and a professor of medicine as well at the University of Toronto. And uh, Dr. Whitehouse, the floor is yours. Well, well, thanks. Before the break, Ron, we were talking about, and Danny was giving a great list of all the things we have done that have reduced the rates of dementia in, in the world. And they do fit into working together in what we call public health. The one that he didn't uh, mention, which uh, um, uh, I won't be critical of because uh, we share a, a love of lifelong learning, is in fact education. That's to say, we think that you know the things you can do individually and collectively and by the way, if you did mention it, I just, I'll just have to say I forgot it, Danny, my memory. But uh, yes, yeah, so, so, so the idea we, that, 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 that uh, keeping your brain active, keeping your body active are the two individual things that you can do uh, that are really important and doing it in community. So Danny and I uh, were involved with my wife, Catherine, in the creation of intergenerational public schools, which serve the purpose of improving public education in Cleveland, which Ron and those of us who have those Cleveland connections know that's, that's been a bit challenged with bringing older folks, some of whom have cognitive challenges, into the space of learning to share books, to share stories. We, we think that's a message of hope because it says you can have fun together across the generations. You can learn together. You can contribute to community and you can stave up brain aging starting at young ages because bra- our brains are aging through the entire course of, of our lifetimes. Well, what I love about what you just said, A, the word fun, which oftentimes is not associated with any discussion um, about dementia, uh, the idea of this intergenerational, because at, at one time we put everybody, if somebody had dementia, if they had Alzheimer's, you belonged in a nursing home. Uh, and this idea of community and, and living in community and the generation's understanding that there are some people that do suffer memory loss, but still live with the memory loss is so important for younger people to see. 
right? And there's been a real evolution in, you know, person-centered care where we're now talking about relationship-centered care or even community-centered care and seeing the value of embedding people in the protective social relationships that we know are so important for our health across the lifespan. And the school is great because people from locked units in assisted living homes volunteer there as reading mentors. And they're not seen as patients or, um, you know, as, as people with disease labels, they're literally seen as mentors by the students. And even if they're quite advanced in their cognitive um, difficulties, they can sit and read a book with a child. They can sing, sing and play, you know, music uh, in a music class or do arts projects next to a, a child. Uh, and so it's, it's just been a really um, great way of, uh, uh, of demedicalizing um, these, uh, you know, the word dementia, as you said before at the outset, Carol. And what do the kids say about that program? Uh, so we've actually um, recorded a whole bunch of uh, stories that the kids uh, uh, tell. I guess they love it. In fact, our attendance is 95, you know, we have 100% attendance in, in te- parent-teacher conference. And we actually have kids that don't want to go on vacation. Wow. Now, Admittedly, some of those kids, you know, come from homes where maybe the school provides a better environment. But um, yeah, no, the kid, the kids love it and um, and learn a lot from the elders. Um, and we have fun out in nature. And I'm just going to come back to that theme because uh, Danny mentioned air pollution. Look, uh, we are not leaving a very healthy planet, um, let alone a healthy society for our kids. I mean, uh, whether it's air pollution or water pollution or the climate crisis. So a lot of our uh, educational programs have focused on learning together about our responsibilities for nature. So to me, that's a really important intergenerational issue that we just have to continue to to focus on uh, if we are to uh, help our societies and our communities do do well in this time of the climate crisis. Well, it's hard for me to understand how we have politicized, not me, but some have politicized the whole concept of climate change when it is so patently obvious what's happening. Yeah, well, I guess uh, we Cleveland uh, tends to be a fairly um, democratic, and I don't want to politicize it either, Ron. But I do think that there are places in the country where we're not waking up about how we have to work together around COVID, and not waking up to how we have to work on the climate crisis. The the mission of our school is lifelong learning and spirited citizenship. Spirited citizenship. The idea that schools is about helping people be informed citizens who work together in a democracy to make a better country and a better world, that's really important. And that, that is political, but it's hopefully a healthier politics uh, than some of the politics we have today. Now, is this an actual school, a brick and mortar edifice, uh, like a magnet school? It absolutely is brick and mortar. In fact, uh, we've had our schools uh, close to uh, facilities where older people live. All of our classes go out into nature, but also into long-term care communities. Now it's bricks and mortar, and it's uh, it's a there are three public uh, community schools who are committed to uh, improving public education more generally in Cleveland. What grades? So it's funny you ask, because we don't actually put kids in grades, because we think you pick kids and, and adults have to be in spaces to learn that are developmentally appropriate. So we have clusters. But basically, uh, if I were to answer your question simply, it's an elementary school, K through eight. Okay. That's great. Well, I, I wanted to go back, because you, you, you talked about education and climate change and exercise. You talked about demedicalizing uh, dementia and, and maybe not having a magic bullet. So- what what is you know what's the message in terms of 
the people who are worried about dementia, what would you say to them? Is it don't wait for the magic pill? What is it that you would say? Yeah, I think that's that's the, the core of the message. Uh, you know, the, part of the hope here is that when when people look at the data on, you know, what degree of dementia is preventable, uh, for instance, the Lancet Commission did this last year, about 40% of dementia appears to have modifiable risk factors. So there are things that we can do at the individual level, you know, um, taking better care of ourselves, minimizing diabetes, treating hypertension, avoiding head injuries, not smoking, um, getting hearing aids if we're having hearing difficulties, uh, treating things like sleep apnea, things of that nature. But the, the, the key message of this book is that we don't want people just to think of at the individual level as individual consumers or um, you know, individual risk factors, but we want people to think about dementia as a collective enterprise. How do we adjust the, the structures and institutions and social processes in the culture to benefit brain health for the most number of people. That's what we did in the mid 20th century. We've gotten away from that now. We've sort of marketized our approaches and thrown billions of dollars into drug development or what Peter and I call the marketplace of memory with digital brain fitness games and supplements and nutraceuticals. Um, All of these things um, have not yielded any panacea, but we do know that we can do things at the individual level of prevention. But beyond that, we know that we can do things as a society if we make collective investments in one another. If we, and so our book, we joke, is not a self-help book, but an other help book. We're trying to get people to think bigger about what it, what it means to care about dementia in the culture. That's like Biden, build back bigger and better. <laughs> build brains back better. Yeah, that's yeah, us. Exactly. And builds community, communities back better. I, I will right. say, I, I think it's reframing things because what I was going to say to your question, Carol, was... Take a walk in nature with your grandkids or uh, uh, youngsters. Uh, go on a field trip because we don't tend to think of those things that are fun and joyful as part of brain health. Because we think brain health, that must be some you know doctor thing. I'm not responsible for that. The message of the book is we are responsible for each other uh, uh, and creating environments uh, in which we can stay healthy generally. And with that, our brains as a part of that. I think there'd be a lot of people who would be happy to hear that at least 40%, you know, for those of us who have relatives that did have Alzheimer's disease, that 40% is, you know, we can influence uh, perhaps our risk of dementia by changing our behaviors. Um, And in that, in what, we have one minute left or a couple of minutes? Where are we? A couple of minutes. A couple of minutes. Okay. Um, So. 2.30 to be exact. Thank you, Ron. (laughs) You're welcome. I, I live to serve. So, uh, so talk, uh, you, I was going to ask, I was going to ask where, where people could get the book, but before we go to that, um, you know, the, this preventable, you, your book says brain health in an unhealthy society. Are we more unhealthy now than we used to be besides maybe the climate is worse? You mentioned diabetes. You mentioned a lot of the things that are, are very chronic conditions we have now. Are we an unhealthy society? Well, yeah, you, you, you look at the mid 20th century as a sort of anchor and we had all of these gains in vascular health and education and lead and, and, and various other things, smoking cessation. But now we're dealing with a lead crisis of our own, right? It's not just Flint, Michigan. Cleveland actually has higher levels of lead in its drinking water than Flint because of our aging infrastructure and failure to invest in uh, public goods uh, and, and regulatory measures. Um, one, uh, six in 10 Americans are living with a chronic disease right now, you know, that impacts vascular health. Um, education has been totally marketized in the last several decades, underwritten by wall street. 
uh, we're starting to see uh, attendance in colleges decline now. So the cumulative years of education that have been rising over the decades are now falling. And it's especially bad for men uh, right now. Um, so, yeah, I think there's, you know, there's 44 million Americans who are uninsured and 80 million who are either on or underinsured. Uh, those are people who are not getting uh, appropriately treated for vascular risk. So, yes, we, we are in many respects an unhealthy society and we've we've lost something. We've forgotten something that that's our American dementia about the collective investments we made in the mid 20th century. So, Dr. Whitehouse, about a minute left uh, and not enough time to do it justice. But what are from your 2008 book? the myths of Alzheimer's, what we aren't being told about the most dreaded disease. So actually, uh, that's now common knowledge. It's not a myth. Nobody believes that Alzheimer's disease is a single disease anymore. And that was our main point. This is, uh, there are many things under that umbrella. And the whole idea that it's not unrelated to aging is also uh, not never been demonstrated. It is related to aging. I think we can see that in our daily lives. So we started off in the myth saying, this is the problem We've, we've conceptualized, we've labeled things in the wrong way. What we say in, um, in the book, uh, and Danny just said it so eloquently, uh, the, the, the new one, American Dementia, if we understand the mistakes we've made about framing this as purely a medical problem and work together, we can create a healthier society. And how do we get a hold of American Dementia? Well, I'd love to say go to your local bookstore or, or look for a place where Danny George is showing up to talk about the book. That would be the most fun <laughs> place thing to do. And I like that. COVID, and, uh, you, I think probably the easiest thing to go to Amazon. The, a friend of mine uh, read the book and she, he's great. It's available on Kindle. So we're doing everything out. We're, not, we're not in the business of selling books, but we're selling ideas. Got to stop you right there. Flat out of time. Dr. Whitehouse, uh, Dr. George, thank you both for being here. A Cleveland reunion on Caregiver SOS on air. Thanks to my co-host, Carol Zerniel. I'm Ron Aaron. We'll talk with you soon right here on Caregiver SOS on air. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS on air, an exclusive presentation of the WellMed Charitable Foundation. We welcome emails with suggestions and comments on this program at radio at wellmed.net. Join co-hosts Carol Zerniel and Ron Aaron next week for more on caregiving, improving the health and well-being of caregivers and their care recipients everywhere. For more on caregiving and podcasts of our programs, visit caregiversos.org. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.